Section 4 of Westminster Larger Catechism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Westminster Larger Catechism by the Westminster Assembly. Question 149. Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? Answer. No man is able, either of himself, or by any grace received in this life, perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Question 150. Are all transgressions of the law of God equally heinous in themselves and in the sight of God? Answer. All transgressions of the law are not equally heinous, but some sins in themselves, and by reason of several aggravations, are more heinous in the sight of God than others. Question 151. What are those aggravations that make some sins more heinous than others? Answer. Sins receive their aggravations, one, from the persons offending, if they be of riper age, greater experience, or grace, eminent for profession, gifts, place, office, guides to others, and whose example is likely to be followed by others. 2. From the parties offended, if immediately against God, his attributes and worship, against Christ and his grace, the Holy Spirit, his witness and workings, against superiors, men of eminency, and such as we stand especially related and engaged unto, against any of the saints, particularly weak brethren, the souls of them or any other, and the common good of all or many. 3. From the nature and quality of the offense, if it be against the express letter of the law, break many commandments, contain in it many sins, if not only conceived in the heart, but breaks forth in words and actions, scandalize others, and admit of no reparation if against means, mercies, judgments, light of nature, conviction of conscience, public or private admonition, censures of the church, civil punishments, and our prayers, purposes, promises, vows, covenants, and engagements to God or men, if done deliberately, willfully, presumptuously, impudently, boastingly, maliciously, frequently, obstinately, with delight, continuance or relapsing after repentance. 4. From circumstances of time and place, if on the Lord's day or other times of divine worship, or immediately before or after these, or other helps to prevent or remedy such miscarriages, if in public or in the presence of others, who are thereby likely to be provoked or defiled. Question 152. What doth every sin deserve at the hands of God? Answer. Every sin, even the least, being against the sovereignty, goodness, and holiness of God, and against his righteous law, deserveth his wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come, and cannot be expiated but by the blood of Christ. Question 153. What doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us by reason of the transgression of the law? Answer that we may escape the wrath and curse of God due to us by reason of the transgression of the law, he requireth of us repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ and the diligent use of the outward means 
whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation. Question 154. What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation? Answer. The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to his church the benefits of his mediation are all his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. Question 155. How is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer. The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves, and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image, and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, or building them up in grace, and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Question 156. Is the word of God to be read by all? Answer. Although all are not to be permitted to read the word publicly to the congregation, yet all sorts of people are bound to read it apart by themselves and with their families, to which end the Holy Scriptures are to be translated out of the original into vulgar languages. Question 157. How is the word of God to be read? Answer. The Holy Scriptures are to be read with an high and reverent esteem of them, with a firm persuasion that they are the very word of God, and that he only can enable us to understand them, with desire to know, believe, and obey the will of God revealed in them, with diligence and attention to the matter and scope of them, with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. Question 158. By whom is the word of God to be preached? Answer. The word of God is to be preached only by such as are sufficiently gifted, and also duly approved and called to that office. Question 159. How is the word of God to be preached by those that are called thereunto? Answer. They that are called to labor in the ministry of the word are to preach sound doctrine, diligently, in season and out of season, plainly, not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, faithfully, making known the whole counsel of God, wisely, applying themselves to the necessities and capacities of the hearers, zealously, with fervent love to God and the souls of his people, sincerely, aiming at his glory and their conversion, edification, and salvation. Question 160. What is required of those that hear the word preached? Answer. It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, examine what they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God, meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Question 161. How do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? Answer. The sacraments become effectual means of salvation, not by any power in themselves, or any virtue derived from the piety or intention of him by whom they are administered, but only by the working of the Holy Ghost and the blessing of Christ, by whom they were instituted. Question 
Question 162. What is a sacrament? Answer. A sacrament is an holy ordinance instituted by Christ in his church to signify, seal, and exhibit unto those that are within the covenant of grace the benefits of his mediation, to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces, to oblige them to obedience, to testify and cherish their love and communion one with another, and to distinguish them from those that are without. Question 163. What are the parts of a sacrament? Answer. The parts of a sacrament are two. The one an outward and sensible sign, used according to Christ's own appointment, the other an inward and spiritual grace thereby signified. Question 164. How many sacraments hath Christ instituted in his church under the New Testament? Answer. Under the New Testament, Christ hath instituted in his church only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Question 165. What is baptism? Answer. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein Christ hath ordained the washing with water, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, to be a sign and seal of engrafting into himself, of remission of sins by his blood, and regeneration by his spirit, of adoption and resurrection unto everlasting life, and whereby the parties baptized are solemnly admitted into the visible church, and enter into an open and professed engagement to be holy and only the Lord's. Question 166. Unto whom is baptism to be administered? Answer. Baptism is not to be administered to any that are out of the visible church, and so strangers from the covenant of promise, till they profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him. But infants descending from parents, either both or but one of them, professing faith in Christ and obedience to him, are in that respect within the covenant and to be baptized. Question 167. How is baptism to be improved by us? Answer. The needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation and when we are present at the administration of it to others. By serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it and of the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein. By being humbled for our sinful defilement, our falling short of, and walking contrary to, the grace of baptism, and our engagements. By growing up to assurance of pardon of sin, and of all other blessings sealed to us in that sacrament. By drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ, into whom we are baptized, for the mortifying of sin and quickening of grace, and by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness as those that have therein given up their names to Christ, and to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same Spirit into one body. Question 168. What is the Lord's Supper? Answer. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein, by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to the appointment of Jesus Christ, his death is showed forth. And they that worthily communicate, feed upon his body and blood, 
to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace, have their union and communion with him confirmed, testify and renew their thankfulness and engagement to God and their mutual love and fellowship with each other as members of the same mystical body. Question 169. How hath Christ appointed bread and wine to be given and received in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? Answer. Christ hath appointed the ministers of his word, in the administration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, to set apart the bread and wine from common use, by the word of institution, thanksgiving, and prayer. To take and break the bread, and to give both the bread and the wine to the communicants, who are, by the same appointment, to take and eat the bread, and to drink the wine, in thankful remembrance that the body of Christ was broken and given, and his blood shed for them. Question 170. How do they that worthily communicate in the Lord's Supper feed upon the body and blood of Christ therein? Answer. As the body and blood of Christ are not corporally or carnally present in, with, or under the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, and yet are spiritually present to the faith of the receiver, no less truly and really than the elements themselves are to our outward senses. So they that worthily communicate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper do therein feed upon the body and blood of Christ, not after a corporal and carnal, but in a spiritual manner. Yet truly and really, while by faith they receive and apply unto themselves Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. Question 171. How are they that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to prepare themselves before they come unto it? Answer. They that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper are, before they come, to prepare themselves thereunto by examining themselves of their being in Christ, of their sins and wants, of the truth and measure of their knowledge, faith, repentance, love to God and the brethren, charity to all men, forgiving those that have done them wrong, of their desires after Christ and of their new obedience, and by renewing the exercise of these graces by serious meditation and fervent prayer. Question 172. May one who doubteth of his being in Christ, or of his due preparation, come to the Lord's Supper? Answer. One who doubteth of his being in Christ, or of his due preparation to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, may have true interest in Christ, though he be not yet assured thereof, and in God's account hath it, if he be duly affected with the apprehension of the want of it, and unfeignedly desires to be found in Christ, and to depart from iniquity. In which case, because promises are made, and the sacrament is appointed for the relief even of weak and doubting Christians, he is to bewail his unbelief, and labor to have his doubts resolved, and, so doing, he may and ought to come to the Lord's Supper, that he may be further strengthened. Question 173. May any who profess the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper be kept from it? Answer. Such as are found to be ignorant or scandalous, notwithstanding their profession of the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper, may and ought to be kept from that sacrament by the power which Christ hath left in his church until they receive instruction and manifest their reformation. Question 174. 
what is required of them that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in the time of the administration of it? Answer. It is required of them that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that, during the time of the administration of it, with all holy reverence and attention, they wait upon God in that ordinance, diligently observe the sacramental elements and actions, heedfully discern the Lord's body, and affectionately meditate on his death and sufferings, and thereby stir up themselves to a vigorous exercise of their graces, in judging themselves and sorrowing for sin, in earnest hungering and thirsting after Christ, feeding on him by faith, receiving of his fullness, trusting in his merits, rejoicing in his love, giving thanks for his grace, in renewing of their covenant with God, and love to all the saints. Question 175. What is the duty of Christians after they have received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? Answer. The duty of Christians after they have received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is seriously to consider how they have behaved themselves therein, and with what success. If they find quickening and comfort, to bless God for it, beg the continuance of it, watch against relapses, fulfill their vows, and encourage themselves to a frequent attendance on that ordinance. But if they find no present benefit, more exactly to review their preparation to, and carriage at, the sacrament. In both which, if they can approve themselves to God and their own consciences, they are to wait for the fruit of it in due time. But if they see they have failed in either, they are to be humbled and to attend upon it afterwards with more care and diligence. Question 176. Wherein do the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper agree? Answer. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper agree in that the author of both is God, the spiritual part of both is Christ and his benefits. Both are seals of the same covenant, are to be dispensed by ministers of the gospel and by none other, and to be continued in the church of Christ until his second coming. Question 177. Wherein do the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper differ? Answer. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper differ in that baptism is to be administered but once, with water, to be a sign and seal of our regeneration and engrafting into Christ, and that even to infants, whereas the Lord's Supper is to be administered often, in the elements of bread and wine, to represent and exhibit Christ as spiritual nourishment to the soul, and to confirm our continuance and growth in Him, and that only to such as are of years and ability to examine themselves. Question 178. What is prayer? Answer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God, in the name of Christ, by the help of His Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Question 179. Are we to pray unto God only? Answer. God only being able to search our hearts, hear the requests, pardon the sins, and fulfill the desires of all, and only to be believed in and worshipped with religious worship, prayer, which is the special part thereof, is to be made by all to him alone and to none other. Question 180. What is it to pray in the name of Christ? Answer. 
To pray in the name of Christ is, in obedience to his command, and in confidence of his promises, to ask mercy for his sake, not by bare mentioning of his name, but by drawing our encouragement to pray, and our boldness, strength, and hope of acceptance in prayer, from Christ and his mediation. Question 181. Why are we to pray in the name of Christ? Answer. The sinfulness of man, and his distance from God by reason thereof, being so great, as that we can have no access into his presence without a mediator, and there being none in heaven or earth appointed to, or fit for, that glorious work but Christ alone, we are to pray in no other name but his only. Question 182. How doth the Spirit help us to pray? Answer. We not knowing what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, by enabling us to understand both for whom, and what, and how prayer is to be made, and by working and quickening in our hearts, although not in all persons, nor at all times, in the same measure, those apprehensions, affections, and graces which are requisite for the right performance of that duty. Question 183 for whom are we to pray? Answer. We are to pray for the whole church of Christ upon earth, for magistrates and ministers, for ourselves, our brethren, yea, our enemies, and for all sorts of men living, or that shall live hereafter, but not for the dead, nor for those that are known to have sinned the sin unto death. Question 184. For what things are we to pray? Answer. We are to pray for all things tending to the glory of God, the welfare of the church, our own or others' good, but not for anything that is unlawful. Question 185. How are we to pray? Answer. We are to pray with an awful apprehension of the majesty of God and deep sense of our own unworthiness, necessities, and sins, with penitent, thankful, and enlarged hearts, with understanding, faith, sincerity, fervency, love, and perseverance, waiting upon him with humble submission to his will. Question 186. What rule hath God given for our direction in the duty of prayer? Answer. The whole word of God is of use to direct us in the duty of prayer, but the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which our Savior Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Question 187. How is the Lord's Prayer to be used? Answer. The Lord's Prayer is not only for direction as a pattern according to which we are to make other prayers, but may also be used as a prayer, so that it be done with understanding, faith, reverence, and other graces necessary for the right performance of the duty of prayer. Question 188. Of how many parts doth the Lord's Prayer consist? Answer. The Lord's Prayer consists of three parts, a preface, petitions, and a conclusion. Question 189. What doth the preface of the Lord's Prayer teach us? Answer. The preface of the Lord's Prayer, contained in these words, Our Father which art in heaven, teacheth us, when we pray, to draw near to God with confidence of his fatherly goodness, and our interest therein, with reverence and all other childlike dispositions 
heavenly affections and due apprehensions of his sovereign power, majesty, and gracious condescension, as also to pray with and for others. Question 190. What do we pray for in the first petition? Answer. In the first petition, which is, Hallowed be thy name, acknowledging the utter inability and indisposition that is in ourselves and all men to honor God aright, we pray that God would by his grace enable and incline us and others to know, to acknowledge, and highly to esteem him, his titles, attributes, ordinances, word, works, and whatsoever he is pleased to make himself known by, and to glorify him in thought, word, and deed, that he would prevent and remove atheism, ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatsoever is dishonorable to him, and, by his overruling providence, direct and dispose of all things to his own glory. Question 191. What do we pray for in the second petition? Answer. In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed, the gospel propagated throughout the world, the Jews called, the fullness of the Gentiles brought in, the church furnished with all gospel officers and ordinances, purged from corruption, countenanced and maintained by the civil magistrate that the ordinances of Christ may be purely dispensed and made effectual to the converting of those that are yet in their sins, and the confirming, comforting, and building up of those that are already converted, that Christ would rule in our hearts here, and hasten the time of his second coming, and our reigning with him forever, and that he would be pleased so to exercise the kingdom of his power in all the world, as may best conduce to these ends. Question 192. What do we pray for in the third petition? Answer. In the third petition, which is, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, acknowledging that by nature we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and to do the will of God, but prone to rebel against his word, to repine and murmur against his providence, and wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil, we pray that God would by his Spirit take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weakness, indisposedness, and perverseness of heart, and by his grace make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to his will in all things, with the like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy, as the angels do in heaven. Question 193 what do we pray for in the fourth petition? Answer. In the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, acknowledging that in Adam, and by our own sin, we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life, and deserve to be wholly deprived of them by God, and to have them cursed to us in the use of them, and that neither they of themselves are able to sustain us, nor we to merit, or by our own industry to procure them, but prone to desire, get, and use them unlawfully, we pray for ourselves and others, that both they and we, waiting upon the providence of God from day to day in the use of lawful means, may, of his free gift, 
and as to his fatherly wisdom shall seem best, enjoy a competent portion of them, and have the same continued and blessed unto us in our holy and comfortable use of them, and contentment in them, and be kept from all things that are contrary to our temporal support and comfort. Question 194. What do we pray for in the fifth petition? Answer. In the fifth petition, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, acknowledging that we and all others are guilty both of original and actual sin, and thereby become debtors to the grace of God, and that neither we nor any other creature can make the least satisfaction for that debt, we pray for ourselves and others that God of his free grace would, through the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, apprehended and applied by faith, acquit us both of the guilt and punishment of sin, accept us in his beloved, continue his favor and grace to us, pardon our daily failings, and fill us with peace and joy, in giving us daily more and more assurance of forgiveness, which we are the rather emboldened to ask, and encouraged to expect, when we have this testimony in ourselves, that we from the heart forgive others their offenses. Question 195. What do we pray for in the sixth petition? Answer. In the sixth petition, which is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, acknowledging that the most wise, righteous, and gracious God, for divers holy and just ends, may so order things, that we may be assaulted, foiled, and for a time led captive by temptations, that Satan, the world, and the flesh are ready powerfully to draw us aside and ensnare us, and that we, even after the pardon of our sins, by reason of our corruption, weakness, and want of watchfulness, are not only subject to be tempted and forward to expose ourselves unto temptations, but also of ourselves unable and unwilling to resist them, to recover out of them and to improve them, and worthy to be left under the power of them, we pray that God would so overrule the world and all in it, subdue the flesh and restrain Satan, order all things, bestow and bless all means of grace, and quicken us to watchfulness in the use of them, that we and all his people may by his providence be kept from being tempted to sin, or, if tempted, that by his spirit we may be powerfully supported and enabled to stand in the hour of temptation, or when fallen, raised again and recovered out of it, and have a sanctified use and improvement thereof, that our sanctification and salvation may be perfected, Satan trodden under our feet, and we fully freed from sin, temptation, and all evil for ever. Question 196 what doth the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer teach us? Answer. The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory for ever. Amen, teacheth us to enforce our petitions with arguments which are to be taken, not from any worthiness in ourselves or in any other creature, but from God, and with our prayers to join praises, ascribing to God alone eternal sovereignty, omnipotency, and glorious excellency, in regard whereof he is able and willing to help us, so we by faith are emboldened to plead with him that he would, and quietly to rely upon him that he will fulfill our requests. 
and to testify this our desire and assurance, we say, Amen. End of section 4. Recording by Tricia G. End of Westminster Larger Catechism by the Westminster Assembly.